Today's show also brought to you by our friends at the Betmakers. Fixed odds betting powered by Betmakers is back and in effect at Monmouth Park. The early returns, very impressive. 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. Soon, fixed odds wagering is going to be available throughout the state. An exciting way to bet that puts the power to get value in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get. Going to be hearing a lot more about this on the In The Money Media Network, including this week, because what a day with all these big stakes races to get yourself out to Monmouth Park and go and bet some fixed odds. Go see Dallas. Tell him you hear him on the shows. Tell him he does a great job. And uh, who knows? He may even have a betting voucher in his pocket for you. Very excited to be working with BetMakers. Hello and welcome to the late week in the Money Players podcast, which is actually happening during the midst of our Horse Player Happy Hour. We encourage everybody listening to the late week show to participate next week in Horse Player Happy Hour. We do that show for our friends at the Breeders' Cup. It costs $20 to play. All the money, the house cut, goes to Thoroughbred Aftercare in the form of the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. The game will go live probably on Tuesday, horseplayers.com. Again, 20 bucks to play, and we're going to do an all-Saratoga format once again, starting with, uh, what do we start with, race three or four? It's probably going to be about 2 o'clock race three. That's my best guess as of now. Go back, check it out. Want to make sure we get as many people involved as possible. And I am here uh, on this show just about every week, except when one of us is off running around somewhere crazy with in the money media's very own and TV's Matt Bernier. Matt, what's going on? Looking forward to opening weekend at Saratoga, Pete. You know, like you say, we're talking about it right now during happy hour, but looking ahead, hopefully the weather cooperates. I think we've got some good racing. Uh, and boy, to me, Saratoga, Del Mar will open next weekend. This meet, these two seasons are all about two-year-olds and what could be still to come. And I think we've got a really good one on Saturday in the Sanford. Yeah, we'll get to it. Let's kick off with the pick six. It starts off in race number six, 355 Eastern, the scheduled post time for this $25,000 claiming race going seven furlongs on the dirt. Matt, how do you want to light this candle? Yeah, I mean, for me, I didn't have a real strong opinion in here, but I did narrow it down to two. Uh, I think the three Chris and Dave has an opportunity at least to bounce back to his best. Um, the most recent run, obviously not great, but you get back to the run two back against $32,000 claimers. You take a look at some of the figs. I know no burn regressed 10 points and the fourth place finisher regressed uh, 23 points, something crazy like that. This horse last time he was at the claiming $25,000 level went out and won by almost four lengths. So I think this is where he fits at this point in his career. I also like the slight turn back in distance and I'm going to, I don't want to say reluctantly, but I'm going to use Alcools on the far outside for Linda Rice and Flavian Pratt. The horse is just in rock solid form. I don't have a concern about the distance. Uh, and at this point, I kind of want horses that are more in form than out of form. I made the case for Chris and Dave, who you could say is a bit out of form. But again, it's only been three races since he last won. So those are the two that I was going to really kind of push my chips in on. I get it. Um, cer certainly, certainly runners that uh, certainly runners that make uh, make sense there in this uh, race that'll kick off the pick six on uh, on Saturday. Let me just check my notes here because I did I did this thing where I wrote something. Uh, I think I wrote something a little bit uh, a little bit goofy in my notes, and I just want to catch up. 
I'm in the right place now. I put Alcools right on top. We've got the same two horses, actually. I put Alcools right on top. Looks like a good candidate to get the three-peat here. And I think could just prove the best speed going on with things in a race that doesn't look to have that much early lick. Second start since being claimed back by Linda Rice. And just looks like a much easier group than this one faced last time. And as for Chris and Dave, that was just such a non-effort last time. Such a no-shot situation. But the previous races put Chris and Dave right there. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're rowing in together here with the, the opening leg of this pick six. And then we'll go to race number seven where we've got these allowance runners going seven furlongs and we've got a huge favorite who I'm not going to spend much money trying to beat. And that's number five reinvestment risk dropping out of stakes company and looks to me to be in against overmatched allowance horses, Klarovich stable candidate to win the owner's title. So I don't read anything negative into the seemingly very conservative placement of a runner who could probably hang against better. I think this horse is going to be on or near the front and very tough to down. Do you have anything more creative when it comes to this one? No, the, I mean, the only thing I'd add to reinvestment risk, he's unfortunately one of those horses that's in a bit of a, a bit of a pickle at this point because he's not really a, a six for a long type for a race like the Vanderbilt. He's much more of a seven for a long type. So you probably just have to wait for the forego. If he's got conditions and he's eligible, you might as well run him here. Um, I think he's the most likely winner by a long shot. The only other one that I was mildly interested in, I know people like Baby Yoda. Um, the horse down on the inside, Disco Pharaoh, I think you can, you know, if you squint, you can get back to some of his best races. I think Ansarin still has a, a bit of ability. I, you know, I don't think he's totally a reclamation project. I, I drew a line through the most recent run. Clearly something broke there as far as the equipment is concerned, so don't hold that against him. Two back, he ran on a wet track, which you can't stand up on. Three back, I know overall all the horses are four out of the five regressed pretty substantially but i think that number is relatively close to being legit simply because in the run prior he earned a 90 against 40 claimers so if let's say reinvestment risk regresses to a a low to mid 90 i think answerin at least has a back race that's good enough and could get there and you should get i would say high single digits somewhere thereabouts so he was the only other one i was really interested in Sometimes they'll tilt the board when you have a horse like reinvestment risk in this spot. And you, you could get a 10 easily, I would think, on answer in. So I think that's a very interesting long shot that you make a compelling case for that I'll at least run a couple of lines through. Race number eight is a grade one. It's the Diana. We're going a mile and an eighth on turf for these fillies and mares. And uh, Chad Brown, you think he holds a, a strong hand in here? He's got four of the six. Who are you going with, Matt? Feels like certain days over in Europe where it's Aiden O'Brien and Charlie Appleby. And now in the United States, it's Chad Brown and Charlie Appleby. Um, you know, I, look, I feel like you either use all four Chads or you take a stand with one of them. And maybe that's, again, a bit short, you know, narrow, narrow minded. Um, I ended up going back to Rougier. She was god awful in the New York. She was really, really bad. But I think there's a scenario in which some folks have brought it up. Maybe she actually wants to go slightly shorter than what she had in that run or in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf last year. I just thought her bogey was so good. And I, I have a hard time getting that out of my brain because if she runs that, she can beat Bleecker Street. I, I firmly believe that. Chad has always sort of handled Bleecker Street as if he doesn't typically or genuinely think that she is grade one elite status. Rougier, I think, has always supposed to been cut from that kind of cloth. I'm going to go that direction. I'm going to give her another shot. I would stand on her as a lone A because I feel like you got to take a stand somewhere. 
Rashir's the Chad that I'm the most interested in, but I was going to go the Appleby route in this spot with the two creative flair. Made the seasonal debut, a winning one. That was a strong enough figure, uh, very competitive with, with her best. And I like that she showed improved early speed. That can sometimes be an indicator of a runner who's going to move forward as well, especially when she's got the obvious condition second up of the season. Not an easy spot, but I'm a bit seduced. David Aragona is so good at the morning line, making this one eight to one. I would pounce at that price and I'd happily take six to one. I mean, she doesn't look any worse than a four to one type chance to me as an improver for Charlie Appleby, who's been so dominant in North America, winning with basically half his runners with a big positive return on investment. So I'll probably back up with the one, four and six um, of, of the Chad team for sort of reasons you, you intimated, maybe, maybe a little bit willing to take, take kind of a stand against Bleecker Street. But Rogier, I think, is the interesting one off that idea of the last was just too bad to be believed. And given her purchase price at the sale and what she's accomplished, I, I would expect a bounce back from her. And, you know, it would be no surprise to see her win by two. Do you buy into the idea of sort of a Euro bounce? Huh. It's a, it used to be more, much more of a thing than it is. Um, but it did. It was interesting. It didn't. It didn't look like the distance Goddard beat. It looked real bouncy, didn't it? Yeah. So it's and it might be less of a bounce because of the second race in North America. Just as that Bogey was so good, and I mean, you talk to horsemen about this, and they believe it chapter and verse at this point. That sometimes these big efforts, it doesn't matter how easy they look, it can take something out of a horse. So I, I would, I would be a little hesitant to fully embrace that, but I can't dismiss it out of hand. And I'm definitely interested to see what she can do this time around. Yeah, it's just one of those things that I, I just thought she was so, so good. And no, maybe she wasn't beating elite company in that bogey, but she beat good enough horses that the form of that field is held up for the most part. So I just, again, if she's going to be the second choice in here or, you know, somewhere in that five to two, three to one range, I, I got to give her a, another look or at least one more chance to prove herself. And uh, David's guess three to one would be very appealing at that. Yeah. A tricky, tricky race to make a morning line on. I wonder if he's right that betters will gravitate towards Bleecker Street off that uh, off that huge win in that same race, the New York. I mean, that was a big win, quickening so well off of that, you know, blue-coated middle part of the race. I just, uh, Bleecker Street's got to prove it to me one more time. I mean, the figures just aren't good enough for the price that she's going to be. I'm okay in this instance, taking a taking a shot against in the Diana. Should we move it? Uh, any other thoughts on that one, Matt? Or should we move it on forward to this allowance race? No, we move on. All right, three-year-olds, mile and an eighth on the inner turf, and we've got a big full field in this one as well. Uh, Matt, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a race that if it's either you're firmly in Fort Ticonderoga's camp or you're looking at it saying anything can happen, um, I'm probably kind of contradicting myself and going a little bit in between. I think Fort Ticonderoga mm -hmm. is a horse that you probably have to use just based on the way that he ran in that maiden score. Thought he looked so good. Yes, he had a fast pace to run at, but it looked like a good thing, and he beat a three to five Chad in that spot. If it's not him, though, I know it was a blanket finish in that N1X at Belmont on June 18th, but I thought analogy ran really well. And the, the other two that I would use would be analogy and credit event. Of the two, I think Analogy ran better because I don't think that pace was particularly strong. And for this horse to settle at the back of the field, yes, he saved ground every inch of the way, 
But to kick on the way that he did, I thought it was a, a sort of an encouraging effort. And I think he can take a step forward. He's nearly paired up by our top 77-76. We're splitting hairs at that point. I think he's going to move forward. And if it's not Fort Ticonderoga, I think it's probably analogy. So my, my air quotes pick would actually be analogy uh, because I want to go for a little bit of an upset. But from a pick standpoint, I'd use analogy. I would use Fort Ticonderoga. And I suppose as a backup, I would use credit event. You know, they're only separated by a nose in that finish. And Chad goes with a little bit of an equipment change here for this spot. Maybe that gets him back. But credit event through three starts has yet to really take that big step forward. And for someone like Chad, when they haven't improved pretty dramatically quickly, I start to wonder a little bit about how good they actually are. 2-9 on the A line, 6 on the B line for Matt. I went with fight for Ticonderoga. I wanted to go through and find an alternative because it's never the easiest task first start against winners. But that maiden breaker was stylish enough. I think this horse is going to move forward enough to handle this group. It was a fast pace last time. I think it'll be much closer to the early proceedings here, maybe getting a, a, a pretty good trip and quickening past them for the victory. The long shot I did want to use was the number three forever super coming here with the wins on synthetic and turf. This is a horse that fits well on numbers, and I thought would be overpriced at odds of around 8-1. to one. Should save all the ground from that rail draw. So I was going to go with uh, the 9 as an A and the 3 as a B. And with that, we'll move on to the race that you uh, had specifically mentioned. You were excited to talk about this field of 12 two-year-olds going six furlongs in the grade three Sanford. Did have you, are you still mulling this one or did you, did you land on a pick? Well, I mean, so I had written down five numbers, uh, but I do have one horse in particular. I want to bet in here. The numbers I went with are two, three, four, six, and nine. Okay. Uh, I guess we can go in opposite order on the Forense. I, I thought it was visually really solid, but my concern is that was on a sloppy track and we typically see, sort of those spread out fields whenever you get kind of a wet track certain horses take it others don't but boy he looked good and from a number standpoint he's arguably as fast as anyone in here um major dude i thought looked really good breaking the maiden for pletcher down at monmouth uh johnny v was down there to ride that day he needed a little bit of encouragement but i thought it was an educational debut should improve certainly needs to step up on figs great navigator i would love to see this horse win you're going to get a price on a horse that is one of the faster ones coming into it but goes out for a lower profile barn. I love the way that the horse broke on, on the debut and, and went on and did things as sort of professionally as he did. Um, Forte, I have no knocks. I really don't have anything to add. He's fast. It's Pletcher. It's a rat. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, but the horse I ended up going with is the six most strike. Uh, goes out for Brad Cox, Florent Giroux. The numbers, depending on what you look at, time form compared to buyer. Time form has the race a little bit slow. Buyer has it respectable. At a 70, uh, I go through the 7th, ninth, and 10th place finishers moved up 9 points, 24 points, and 34 points in their next start. So factoring in that the race has moved forward for the most part from a form standpoint, and most strike was the only part of the pace to stick around late, I thought it was an encouraging debut. I think this horse has the ability to sit without being pace dependent or going to the lead. Uh, I like most strike in here. You make a very compelling case. How would you grade out those others into A's and B's? Um, so I would probably say most strike is an A, forte is an A, great navigator is an A, and then backups would be major dude and Andiamo I Forense. Six four three on the top line, leaving it uh, leaving it two nine on the backup line. Yes. Is that right? Yes. 
Beautiful. I went with Forte, another race where I'm sort of feeling a little bad going with the horse. I think is going to be the favorite because it's competitive, but I think this could be a backable favorite. You know, maybe no less than five to two, maybe three to one. This horse fits best for me on figures, uh, all things considered. And I do love has shown the ability to pass horses and did so without a particularly great setup. Wasn't some, you know, just come running late in a race that was collapsing run. Interesting note here that uh, was in DRF. Todd Pletcher, great as he is, does not have the best record with maiden two-year-olds um, going right into graded stakes on the dirt. But uh, the line I wrote in my atheraces.com column, in this case, I'm going to go with the idea that stats don't win races, horses do. And I'm sticking with Forte because this isn't going to be a six to five favorite. If it was, I think I would, that stat would probably give me pause at that point. But the, the way things are, I'm sticking with it. Does that does that stat factor in your your reckoning of the race at all? I'll pull up the exact stat and and give credit to the closer look writer who popped it in there as well. No, not particularly. I mean, I think you just have to go back to last year with um, with Wit. Didn't Wit come win off of a, a Belmont Maiden debut? Comes right back into this race and wins. So um, I, I think to your point, everything is. It goes back to the Lucas stat I threw out when we were talking about the Skylerville, which is happening on opening day. When when a horse bucks the trend that to me is a positive that that's something that i actually want to look at and say okay well we've got something here i know this stat is specifically for this race here um but i I thought the horse was really really strong visually i'm going to be most interested in honestly down the road what he turns into because there's a lot of grass in the pedigree and it makes me wonder if down the road he ends up becoming a turf horse but right now with as good as he's been I mean, there, there's no reason not to, to run on the dirt on the main track until he proves otherwise. So here's that stat that, that, that I just pulled, and let's credit where credit's due it. It's a two-year-old race, so it is David Aragona, actually, who's getting a lot of calls on this show. He pulled Pletcher being three for 24, not, you know, by his own standards, very meh, with just a 109 $2 ROI, with two-year-old last out debut winners in graded stakes uh, dirt sprints over the past five years. So it, it's... It's an interesting that when, when you see a trainer who does well in everything and there's a category that they don't do so well in, it's something to notice. But again, for me, the big difference maker is this isn't a four to five we're lumping on, a six to five we're lumping on. This is a horse that should be, I think, every bit of that five to two or, or three to one. We are running low on time, so we will continue to uh, speed through this pick six. With race number 11, the pay leg, $35,000 claimers, mile and a 16th on the turf. Phillies three and up. Matt, how are we going to get paid? Perfect way to wrap this thing up. I have no opinion in this race. I, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. The only one I found interesting was Diva Reddy. But even having said that, I, I don't love this horse. I, I could see this horse running sixth. Uh, it's not like she's got some tremendous edge on the field. The problem is if you don't take a stand, I'm using nine of them in here. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, I didn't have an opinion. I'm not going to try to sell someone some goods that I don't truly believe in. I think Diva Reddy makes sense. But I, I don't trust her uh, really all that much in the grand scheme. I'm tempted in my plus notes to write that your top pick is technically Diva Ready, but for bees, you want to use as many as you can afford. Is that about yeah. right? I, I mean, how much money you got in your pocket, basically? <laughs> <laughs> I put Diva Ready on top two, the pace advantage. Um, coupled with the drop in class, racing for a tag for the first time. I think Flavian Pratt's going to send her to the front, and I think she's got enough finish to stay there. I think it's interesting seeing Flavian Pratt show up here, too, 
it may be an indicator that he's really looking to get super busy in the, as many races as possible with the Saratoga meet, well, as opposed to just being a bit more of a specialist. We'll see, you know, cherry picking, looking for breeders' cup mounts, whatever, stakes mounts. We'll see how it plays out. I think Diva Ready is the one. There are a bunch of others you can make cases for. I'll talk about two of them off of pretty similar angles, horses that were closing into blue fractions last time out, the three noble enterprise and the 11 Kemba. I thought they were both worthy of, uh, of inclusion. And I like the strategy of pressing up an a who I think is going to control the pace with then a couple of horses that will be suited who are going to be prices. If I happen to be wrong, or it just doesn't play out that way. It's sort of uh, that, that attempt of trying to get the best speed and the best closer that I try to do in my horizontal wager. So that's what we'll uh, that's what we'll do with that one. Um, and uh, if you're watching on the late week show, now we'll go to a break. You know what I haven't done in a while on this show is plug our partnership with Old Smoke Clothing, OldSmokeClothing.com. There are T-shirts left, including the one I'm wearing today, which is our collaboration with the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. It comes with a $50 baked-in donation. The idea is you hear something on one of our shows, helps you score. You decide you want to give something back to the horses and you want a commemorative t-shirt in the process. I won and so did they. Easiest way to find it probably in the moneypodcast.com slash old smoke that'll redirect you to their site. There's also the JK collection over there. You see JK and I wearing those fun party shirts that he's helped design uh, all the time. And you can get those too over at the old smoke website, oldsmokeclothing.com slash JK to find the JK collection and uh, we've got a promo code, too, there that'll get you free shipping. It's called money. Just put in money as your promo code. If you have any issues, problems, questions, reach out to me. But we're very excited to be working once again with our friends at OldSmokeClothing.com. Next up on the show, we bring in our man we like to turn to when it comes to all things pertaining to Woodbine. He's also the business manager here at In The Money Media. He's my friend, Drew Coatney. Drew, what's going on? I'm good. I'm good, Pete. Uh, got to enjoy a little bit of Thursday action for opening day and uh, hope to see the good times rolling. Had some good picks over at a little racetrack uh, somewhere in New York, uh, upstate New York, <laughs> called uh, Saratoga, I think, or something like when that. Well, I'm not but... paying attention to Woodbine. I do I do pay attention to their racing from time to time. Woodbine shippers do really well there, actually. That's yeah. one of the angles we were talking about on our meet preview show with Matt Vagvolgi. Saratoga just starting. The Woodbine meet continues apace. As we get ready for this uh, August edition of the Queen's Plate, I'm trying to figure out if I can get myself up there for the day. I'm certainly looking forward to covering it here on In the Money Media. But yeah, racing's been rock solid up at Woodbine. A lot of things horse players say they want in terms of uh, full fields and also quality racing. You get a lot of pick sequences there that are all non-claiming stuff, which I think people uh, should be paying attention to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the shippers actually yesterday in the stakes race at Saratoga plays into uh, the My Deer stakes that we'll talk about in a little bit here uh, with a favorite at Woodbine on Saturday. So lots to get to and excited for the weekend of racing ahead. Let's do it. Race number seven kicks off the late pick four. I think, you know, you and I often prefer those rolling doubles necessarily to the pick four, but we'll look at the last four races and see where we have, see what kind of plays we can come up with. We've got Phillies and mares, three-year-olds and up, allowance types going six furlongs on the turf. How do you want to kick off this sequence, my friend? Yeah, I love the number one dance rhythms in here. Gets the inside draw, has that pressing ability to sit the perfect ground-saving trip at that six furlong distance. 
and the import has run some really impressive figures and will have some pace to run out. So six to one with husbands aboard and Drexler behind the, the scenes. That's a hard price to beat at six to one in this pretty wide open affair. I'll also use as another A, the number five, Murray, uh, another presser who I imagine is going to have to sit two or three wide, but will have clear running when they get to the top of the stretch. So that's a plus for me. And the overall figures fit and gets away from the speed favoring inner turf uh, that this one had last time out. So that the six furlong outer kind of rewards more of that grinder style ability to make those moves around the turn. So the one, the five, and then I'll use as a backup, the number six forest drift at 20 to one. Well, we're not going to see 20 to one. I doubt if we do right. Pr- pretty good token win bet right there, but loose on the lead. We'll see if this one can just steal it on the front end. And then I'm also fading two of the favorites. The number four sparkle Sammy looks like a hanger type. And I don't like the trip. This is going to get, I think is going to have to sit even farther than three wide, just on how everything breaks. Uh, and so not really too excited to back that one in a short price. And also the number two cardio princess, um, coming out of the same race that number four sparkle sparkle Sammy did. And, and again, I just don't like the horse. And I think this one's going to be over bet. Um, and doesn't really seem to want to win except for that shy maiden effort. So why take favoritism on a pretty salty bunch? And if we can fade those two, we'll see a lot of value in this overall race. So I'm going to go with the one and the five as A's and a six as B to kick things off. It's so interesting because we have a really similar opinion, but also a really different opinion in the same race. I don't trust those two favorites either, but you know, I think it just comes down to how figure oriented of a player I am versus versus you no judgment it's just different approaches to the game i feel like i still have to back up with them but it's funny because i wrote down four to potentially talk about they didn't include either of your a's i mean but that also i think it's just a very competitive race where you can make cases for a lot of these i ended up putting gambling cat when you didn't mention on top Mm non-effort off the bench Mm -hmm. that was a much tougher group at a time when this barn was just not going great i thought could end up having the best finish from a solid attack position on the numbers, I was going to throw in the two and the four. My second choice, more of a value B than an A, is Forest Drift, who you mentioned. Big mm-hmm. price, ran a huge race, two back. So eight on top for me with six, two, and four. Not the strongest opinions for me, though, to start off this uh, late pick four sequence. And as far as doubles go, I might just play the eight and the six and and get with your program to, to fade the two and the four, just because I don't really see either of them offering a tremendous amount of value let's move on to the stakes race you've mentioned you had an interesting angle on this one so while i usually take the second race uh, first i'm going to give it to you for the my dear five and a half furlongs on the synthetic just a field of five in this two-year-old stakes race what was the collateral form angle you wanted to bring up yeah and i feel like jk here lecturing uh, on so uh, on creative ticket structure and eking out value. And if you can fade one of the favorites, which I think they're going to be co-favorites between the number three collecting flatter and number five, Kahira's Blessing. Kahira's Blessing faced Adora and couldn't quite get the job done on debut. Adora ran yesterday and we're recording on Friday morning. So ran on Thursday at Saratoga. It really didn't show much. And then Kahira's Blessing comes back on June 12th uh, to kind of yeah, stalked the two pass, got the best jump and looked a little green and had a weird action down the lane. Didn't earn that big of a figure. So I, I'm fading the number five Kahira's blessing of five to two, which I think is going to be co-favoritism. And I'm cold singling the number three collecting flatter. 
yeah, did get an easy lead, but overall best figure and in a bunch that I can't really sort out otherwise, I think this one might be able to show a new dynamic today, stalking the pace with Kimura jumping aboard from Contreras. And Josie Carroll knows how to get these ones ready. So I'm going to go cold single to number three, collecting flatter in this stakes event. This is the horse that I like as well, but it's a tough one because, you know, it was just a four-runner field. And you made that point about Contreras. I'm not sure if, I mean, you'd presume Contreras jumped ship here. That doesn't bother you at all? No, considering (laughs) I trust Kimura better than uh, Contreras here in this situation. It's just one of those things where when a jockey rides too and seemingly has the choice, you'd like to see them land there. But I'm sort of hoping that gets priced in and people overrate that factor because Speedy River, the horse where Contreras lands, just not really, um, you know, I mean, that's just a much weaker race, a slower race, a weaker, weaker company, just four and a half. I just, I don't get it. But sometimes there's stories why this happens. It, it could be yeah. Speedy River committed sooner and they were thinking about shipping collecting flatter somewhere or something and they and he'd given the call and he couldn't get out of it and yeah i mean it's certainly no knock to kimura as a jock it's just that angle of you know you think about the agent handicapping and, and why they end up in in one place versus another but yeah totally with you on collecting flatter totally with you on fading to hear his blessing and i will mention though state of mind a horse that i think the pedigree geek in me just has mm-hmm. to include i love yeah. the cross kittens joy Stormcat. But this one also, you don't have to go very far back in the pedigree to see that uh, that that this one is kin to the great blue hen mare, maybe the greatest broodmare of all time, to sowed with all the, the grade one winners mm. that, that she dropped. Anyway, state of mind, I think I'm going to have as at least a backup line, but with you on the three. Let's move on to the third leg in the sequence. It's race number nine. We've got a starter allowance, fillies and mares going seven furlongs on the synth. I was going to pick the number two first round pick. Nothing real clever here, but just looks to be improving among the best speeds. Still has solid finish. And I like the two fast works since the last run. I thought that from a form perspective, number five, Dixie Morning was Mm -hmm. one in your multis that should be included. Uh, Verdejo, that form looking really good. Uh, Seems like one on the pedigree. Should appreciate the seven furlongs. Kimura back in the irons here. I was going to play this one, two, five, and hope we can get those numbers to the hoop. How do you see it? Oh, this is a great head-to-head. Let's flip them five and two. And don't forget, Dixie Morning beat first-round pick on debut. I didn't have time to dig into the trainer stats to see which trainer gets them ready first and how they progress from there. But I'm going with the number five Dixie Morning on top. I think it's going to get the best pressing trip, and that stretch out to seven furlongs in this somewhat paceless race should suit perfectly. And I, I, I don't think we're going to see anything a six to one Pete uh, with the trainer firing at 20 plus percent and that Jackie Kimura again on board. I think we'll see closer to three to one, if not co-favoritism with the number two first round pick who I will be using defensively, but I don't like betting horses off of these maiden or maiden optional claimers that come into these open company type of events. And so I just don't love that figure that was earned in in that race. Can the horse step forward? Absolutely. And we'll use defensively, but don't want to focus my day on it. So I'm going with a five as an A and then I'll just back up with the two. If I'm wrong there, at least I'll get paid a little bit. I'll take your, I'll take your head to head. Why not? For the record, I did look at that. And uh, it's interesting because Barbara Mitchell, one of the few trainers you'll ever see, 
who has better numbers with first-time starters than second-time starters. Not by a lot, but by a percentage point. You usually see that number go up significantly, at least three or four points. In her case, it goes uh, on the Equibase stats from a 10% first out to a 9% second out. And then Dixie Morning um, follows the more usual progression with Doyle getting 7% winners first time out, 9% second time out. So I didn't read anything into that. You know, I, I was just going on most recent form lines, but it looks like hopefully we're on the, the same two horses and the right horses there. Let's move to the nightcap. Last race we're going to talk about in this segment of the show, three and a billion mare maidens with that fat $123,000 purse going seven furlongs on the turf. Interesting little affair for sure. How are we going to get paid? Yeah, I think if you're a, a, a breeding pedigree nerd, you're going to like this race. But I'm, yes. I'm going boring on this one and going with the number 10, Dance with Destiny. Uh, off the long break, smashed into that gate. Uh, kind of looking back at the replay, you can even see the door shaking. This one hit it so hard. Got a smidgen rank it and rushed up into it. Um, and, and ran on well and threw in the towel pretty much. Um, Stein knew things were over at the top of the stretch. I think this horse is going to come back even stronger and better in this spot here with a group that arguably is has question marks next to all of them. So why not go with a horse who we know is going to be up near the lead? The cutback should help. And who knows, this horse could be in the forepath, running clear and stalking and, and get the first jump on them all. So the number 10, Dance with Destiny, is a cold single for me. I, if if I were to be backing up, say I found some creative bigger prices in the other sequences that I wanted to make sure I had covered in the pick four, um, the, the number seven, Medaglia Mo, um, expensive purchase for Cassie, first time late six with blinkers on, Hernandez. I mean, the story goes on. So hard to fade that one if you found prices in other sequences. But since we're so chalky here um, to try and glom onto some of these i want to be a bit narrow and then the other one that interested me is the number four moe manet at 20 to 1 that that dogs up work two back uh doing a minute flat is somewhat interesting and could be a, a, an interesting runner in this bunch we'll have to see how this one plays out but i'm imagining this horse is going to be like 40 to 1 30 to 1 in a group that has a lot of bigger buzzier headlines than this one with the connection. So I'm cold single to the 10, but if you found some value prices in the other legs that you wanted to make sure you were alive to, I'm going to go with the four and the seven as a backup. I'll list them as C's in the official reckoning of the race that goes out on in the money plus in the money plus you get all kinds of extra content, including extra written content um, and extra pods, but also a little digest of the picks. But you meant you spend enough time talking about them that I feel silly not writing them down. But since you said single several times, we'll make that more of a, of a single A with no B's to try to reflect your opinion a little bit as the phone rings here at the cabin in the middle of the woods. Hopefully somebody will grab that quickly. Looks like they did. That's good. Um, so the only one who's run the par is your top pick. This, this race usually goes in about a 70 dance with destiny has run to that level several times. She makes sense, but I think I'm just guilty of being the, the, the pedigree uh, geek that you, that you described. And I went with a different first time starter whose blood I absolutely love Millie girl. This dam has produced three turf winners from four starters. I love to see that tone broke was among them. Uh, Breeders' Cup uh, uh, horse, uh, not Breeders' Cup, uh, Breeders' Breeders' Stakes horse, and then also 
we have the fact that uh, Catherine Day Phillips can get them ready. Has won recently with a with a first timer on the main turf um, up at uh, up at Woodbine. So I put Millie Girl on top, and I went with the the other firster that you mentioned, Medaglia Mo, as as the backup um, first foal. This one from a uh, Grade Two turf miler, and uh, getting the getting blinkers and Lasix and Cassie obviously needs no introduction one and seven on the top line. And then I will back up with your, with your uh, 10 runner as well. The best of the ones who've run and we'll see if we can uh, get something done here at Woodbine on this, on this Saturday card. Um, since I just pinched so much of his research, I'll, I'll give a shout out to the excellent work that Ron Gearkink does in the pages of daily racing form going through um, pedigrees and and writing his analysis he comes up with a lot of really good tidbits and it's definitely worth uh definitely worth checking out for folks yeah. that uh that, that are interested and also those who uh, uh want to buy their formulator cards right in there uh ron's analysis is dumped in there and oftentimes you'll get great like oh this horse worked with this horse who's yeah, up he's out coming. there in the mornings he has a great knowledge of pedigree and he's out there in the morning so you get you know, you get stuff you're not going to get too many other places. Woodbine website too has some great um, info on there. I encourage folks to to check that uh, to check that out as well. Um, your best bet. We've been doing this where we say, hey, if you could only bet one of the things that we talked about, what would you bet? What do you, what would you come up with for that? Yeah, I I think I'm going to do a little bit of a Dutch. I shouldn't say Dutch. Uh, a a, a three headed double, if you were a kind of a simulate pick three. I'm going to go with race seven. Those two horses I listed dance rhythms and Murray into collecting flatter. And if those come up short collecting flatter into Dixie morning, I think that might be my bigger play right there of collecting flatter into Dixie morning. I imagine we'll get eight, nine to one on the double uh, probable. So watching out for those, I think I'm going to play those two to get out and make sure that we make money even if our pick four comes up bust. How about you? I don't mind that idea. Yeah. So one five with three and then a playback of the three to the five that in doubles, nice tight combinations. That makes a lot of sense for me. I'm going to go with gambling cat. I'm just going to try to um, see if I can't get the sequence kicked off correctly. I'll be playing doubles. I'll be playing win as well. It's a tricky race, so it makes me feel not 100% confident in that, but I am confident this horse is going to be valued the way I'm looking at the world. So, yeah, we'll both get things uh, kicked off real quick here on the Saturday card in race number seven. Uh, what else is going on, Drew? Any, anything else cooking in your world? No, we, we're we having uh, uh, birthdays coming up, so we're going to be doing a full brisket, uh, trying to do a new style where we – incorporate the snake method of charcoal yes. on an offset smoker i've actually to... never done that but it, it's it's definitely a thing yeah and, and but the problem with an offset is you don't have that space that a pot kettle charcoal grill would have to allow for the snake for those who don't know snake method of charcoal light it at one end and create an arc that continues around to give you a longer duration of burn yeah one coal in a row picture the snake it's like yeah. you know one coal lights the next coal it's like dominoes yeah. So I've been experimenting with that. Uh, every time my neighbors look, they're like, what are you cooking? I said, nothing. Right. And they, they, wait, why are you having fires for no reason? Right. I'm trying <laughs> to see how much sleep I can eke out while doing a brisket for those that don't know. How hot does it get in, in your grill using that? That's been always my fear with it. Like, could you get, would, would it be, would you get up to 200, 225, what you'd need for a brisket? Yeah. So 
it would be the after piece here. Um, it would be the, we've wrapped, we're looking to just keep, we're after the stall and we're looking to just get eight or 10 more hours of just good 150 degree heat on it. Gotcha. And then okay. probably bring it up in the morning, put it in a cooler for three or four hours. So for those who are interested, I'll probably be tweeting this out next Friday. Hey, you got to write this up. Yeah. <laughs> we want to hear good. the experiment. Put it on the website. People will watch. People will read it. I'll read it. All right. All right. Well, yeah. Heck, uh, in, in the money, in, how do we, marketing department will figure out how we incorporate food into in the money media. We'll get something working on it. You do a woodbine pick and then the and then the the the, the brisket right up. I'm gonna go. We're going sl- uh, high heat tonight. I think we have some leftover lobster. We did lobster tacos last night. I've got leftover lobster and corn, so lobster risotto. But Perrin's not gonna be feeling lobster risotto, so I'll get maybe a nice piece of filet mignon. We'll do that high heat on the grill for her. We'll do a little little surf and turf. This is our last night here after this two week stretch. We're heading to Saratoga tomorrow. Can't wait to be there. Can't wait to be up back in Canada at Woodbine soon. It has been too long. Drew, we'll have you back on next week. We'll dance from there. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends from Monmouth. The big day, Haskell Day, is coming up, and Monmouth is hosting a $1,000 handicapping contest, the Haskell Challenge, on July 23rd. Online contest only through ExpressBet and TVG. Players must register with Brian Skirka in advance. Easiest way to get to Brian is just through his regular email, and it's an easy one, bskirka at monmouthpark.com. Going to be BC, BC seats, NHC seats, and cash prizes. Most of you watching probably don't need much introduction to Haskell Day. Race is coming up loaded. We've got that one, the $1 million grade one, tvg.com Haskell. We've got the grade one, United Nations, three other graded stakes, and that means we're going to have a $400,000 guaranteed pick four, Ending in the Haskell, $200,000 guaranteed late pick five. The last five races of the card, there is going to be a win early pick five. The races we always cover, we'll make sure to have them covered on the late week show. Uh, Estimating about $200,000 in that pool. Special early first post, 12 p.m. for that one. And yeah, in terms of storylines, Jack Christopher, he is going to be in the Haskell. We'll see who turns up against him, but uh, some big names being mentioned, including Taba. Trebuven is going to be uh, facing off against Gufo and Warlike Goddess in the UN. It sounds like great day of racing. For more, go to monmouthpark.com. Next up on the show, we turn to our Monmouth Park segment. And to do that, we bring in the guy who's been helping us out. Uh, one of the guys who's been helping us out is uh, we gave him the day off. Dallas Baker will not actually be appearing on the show today, but he will be, his information will be relayed by our guest who is here, fresh off an appearance on this uh, Friday Saratoga Carryover Show. You know him from InTheMoneyPodcast.com and all the work and writing he does over there. He's Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? I'm doing great, Pete. Glad to be with you again, this time in video format. You just can't get enough of me. That's <laughs> about the size of it. We've got uh, two tangents before we get going. Let's start with the non-Monmouth tangent. Hopefully they won't they won't mind too much. I just want to put in a plug for this really cool thing you're planning on doing for the Saratoga meet that um, we're, we're sort of previewing outside the paywall on opening weekend here at Saratoga, but shortly is going to be going behind the paywall. You can you know uh, access it easily enough for quite a reasonable number over at inthemoneypodcast.com slash plus, along with all the other stuff you get as a plus member. But uh, tell folks what you're doing. Yeah, going to send out a little preview on a, on a daily basis. It needs a name. we got to come up with something. It's, uh, I, you're I, right, I actually. I should have thought of that. 
without without hearkening back to my days as a sports writer in high school and college, I had a I used to do a little thing in the newspaper that was called Nick's Notebook, and it was basically all of the the random musings of I a, mean, of a an, if it ain't of, broke, already, don't fix it. Yeah, right, that's not already, bad. Yeah, an already cynical, you know, eighteen to twenty year old sports writer. So you can imagine the kind of things that came up with, and how quickly the principal addressed what I was saying. But um, yeah, so so we could do something like that. Maybe I, you know, it's gonna kind of overview of what's gone on, and you know, Saratoga can be such a grind, especially with five day a week racing. And so I want to make sure everybody's uh, kept apprised of who might be under the radar doing well, who might be struggling. Um, and, and I wonder how many trainers I'm probably going to warm up by making comments <laughs> about their poor performance or who I'm just absolutely going to douse in cold water by talking about how well they're doing. You know, that's really a thing. They, it, it's, it's in England, they call it the commentator's curse. And it, it has a statistical reason for existing in that, you know, people like you and me, we're and humans in general. We're always looking for patterns, you know, as, as betters, we're looking for we're looking for patterns. But that means you're going to notice the outliers. And then the outliers tend to just mathematically progress or regress to the mean and make you look like a dope sometimes. Yeah, hundred percent. We laugh. I have a group text with our friend, Jack Jenkins and Clay Sanders and Marshall Graham. And Jack and I are hall of fame caliber at waking up dead trainers, you know, cold <laughs> trainers, I should say. But uh, the most recent example, and he won't mind me saying it, but Memorial day morning, Jack went on this rant about Mark Cassie and how bad Mark Cassie had been doing. In he New was York. cold for a minute. And yeah, I mean, and Mark Cassie would probably even admit that, that self-effacing as he is, that his barn in New York had been cold and promptly make mischief won the critical eye <laughs> by the length of the stretch. Right. So you knew that was coming and, and it's going to happen uh, periodically. So uh, we, he and I are very, very good at waking up the uh, those in a slumber. Let's talk about the other tangent I want to go on, which is a very early look at the Haskell. Sounds like Jack Christopher is going to be heading the lineup over there. Horse who, you know, I'm sure uh, most, if not any fans of racing, are really interested to see what this horse can do going a bit farther based on the promise he showed not only last year, but uh, what he's done this year on the track as well. Uh, what are you thinking about the Haskell? Let's start with Jack Christopher himself. Do you think he'll be suited to the nine furlongs. Yeah, I, you know, I think there's a bit of a misnomer with Mammoth that distance challenge horses have a good shot at getting a route there because it's this big speed favoring track, which it's it's not. I mean, it's not the Mammoth of the 90s or even the early aughts where horses just got out and galloped along. Um, I, I will say this. Jack Christopher has looked in his two starts this year like extra ground will be no issue. With that said, he's been sitting outside of the likes of Papa Cap and provocateur in slow-paced races, more so the Woody than the, than the Pat Day Mile. Those kind of horses are fool's gold going long because you're going to base your opinion on races that were run in extreme scenarios. And, you know, the, the elephant in the – there are two elephants in the room as far as the Haskell goes, in my opinion. It looks at this point as if Epicenter and Zandon are going to stay in New York and they're going to run the Jim Dandy. The horses that you want to keep an eye on being in this field are early voting in Taba both of whom obviously come from top-notch barns. Taba comes from the barn of a, a certain silver-haired trainer that's now back in the mix, who's won about a gajillion Haskells. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and really, I mean, we, we have all forgotten now because of the Derby, but we have no idea how good Taba might actually be. And, and if he's been freshened for this and Bob Baffert runs him, you can imagine him being very tough. He would also sport the kind of running style that could be really problematic for Jack Christopher because he's going to force him along more, you know, and he's not going to be setting these relatively moderate fractions that would enable him to get the extra ground without issue. 
The other thing that's sort of fascinating about if early voting goes is who will Jose Ortiz ride? Right. I mean, he, he won a classic on early voting and and I think the world of early voting. But um, Jack Christopher's been awfully good, too. And he's been on him every single start. So it would be very hard to give up that mount. But uh, those look like at the moment the the main uh, probables. And I will say that early voting has not been committed to this race. I think they're they're going to ride the fence as long as possible. And Chad Brown has the unenviable position of uh, maybe the enviable position of deciding what two races to run his three horses. So. It'll be fun. It'll be a good race in that regard. The local hopefuls are pretty much headlined by Benavengo, who won the uh, the the other Pegasus last month, and uh, some of the horses that have run at Monmouth uh, include Dash Attack. I don't think he's running in there. I think White Barrio is going to a race, and I think he's going to West Virginia. Um, I think Tawny Port's going to Saratoga. So it'll be sorted out over the next few days. It draws on Wednesday, but look, if we get those three headliners, it'll be a fascinating race. We're gonna have a load of extra content for Monmouth. We'll be doing like a standalone roundtable type discussion with Frank Miramati and Brian Skirka. We'll be doing our normal early pick five look. And then hopefully we're going to look to do something live streaming on the day. We just got to work out some of the logistics, but we're going to have you covered for next Saturday. But let's now talk about the real reason we're here, which is this Saturday. And we'll do the win early pick five. Nick would love to get your thoughts from a horizontal betting perspective. And then also uh, the prices that Dallas has, uh, forwarded your way get some idea of how the fixed odds prices line up with how you see these races starting with this maiden special weight for three and up going five and a half on the turf yeah we get started sprinting on the turf in what looks like a pretty competitive field obviously these are maidens uh they're two-year-olds so you're really playing into kind of a blind market both uh in terms of, of races that they've just not run a lot of races right so it, it's a it's a market where setting fixed odds prices can be very very tricky uh, I'm sorry, I was on the wrong day. The 16th is not a race with a lot of, of two-year-olds. I was on the 15th. Um, the 16th is a race with a little bit more exposed form. The fixed odds prices, they're going to go towards Prudent Song. Uh, looks like about $2.80 in decimal language, um, somewhere in that vicinity, which uh, he's a likely favorite. He looks like a, a horse that'll be, uh, she, I should say, looks like a horse that'll be pretty tough to handle. You know, the interesting thing, and in talking with Dallas through these shows, is how they handle Paco Lopez. Paco Lopez, who, of course, wins at roughly 30% at Monmouth, um, he is not as popular in the fixed odds market, which I think is interesting. And so I guess nobody moseys their way over to the fixed odds section at Monmouth, which I'm looking forward to seeing next week. And and bets on Paco, they'll reserve their, uh, their plans for the tote. He's on Always Aware, who is kind of a horse that I think in any circumstance the bet makers guys would happily take on. Um, this is a horse that will probably drift under – three to one or so uh, currently not $4.60 in the, I'm sorry, $4.50 in the decimal language on the uh, fixed odds prices. I don't see always aware being out of the realm, but he's a horse that has not tried. She's not tried turf so far gets to it in her fourth career start has a pedigree. It's a Colts neck family. So there's pretty much always turf on the damn side, but uh, from a pick five perspective, I don't love the running style of prudent song, but I do think her races this year now being third off a layoff, she should be pretty tough to handle. I think pace-wise, you'd want to include a couple that uh, could be a little bit more forward, like Kamenchek. Kamenchek is actually 12 to 1, 13 to 1, and uh, the, the decimal odd in the fixed odds market. She's one that could be a little dangerous. Also, a third off a layoff, second off a claimant in the care of Claudio Gonzalez. So two and four are the numbers you're looking to focus on for the win early pick five as we move to the second leg, which is a starter allowance going a mile and 70 on the dirt. Field of six goes postward. On the morning line side, Golden Grant, the one runner, was installed as a heavy uh, favorite, listed at three to two. Is it similar 
with the prices that Dallas sent over? Yeah, even money on the uh, standard American uh, odds, um, $2 decimal. This is a horse who's been in improving form of late, and she looks to kind of have the, the type of versatility that would make her really tough to handle here. Um, able to stay a little bit closer as she's proven in her last two starts. And the park swarm is always questionable at Monmouth, but it held up well last time. So she looks to kind of have them over a barrel. I don't know uh, who would really give her much trouble late. Obson, it looks like a horse that could be a little bit forward, but boy, Golden Grand handled her very, very easily in uh, three straight starts, um, including one where they were both defeated two starts back. So turning the tables looks like something a little bit out of the realm. Uh, Paco Lopez is on the six Catania who you might see a little bit more forwardly placed on the stretch out. Not altogether certain this horse is good enough to handle the likes of Golden Grant. I think Golden Grant's a pretty safe pick five single. All right, there you go. Let's move to the hinge of this early pick five, where we do have the two-year-olds. Maiden Phillies going five furlongs, and a field of seven goes to post, where we only have two that have run before. Is your eye drawn to uh, to either of those, particularly perhaps uh, Girl Trouble, who uh, ran uh, the best race on offer yeah girl trouble uh, gonna be about a dollar 80 in the decimal odds a very short favorite here the monmouth uh, two-year-old races are generally dominated by kelly breen and or todd fletcher when he sends a horse in neither of those are represented here and uh, and that really makes it look as if the first-time starters are probably a lesser lot from top to bottom girl trouble was a good second on debut Earned a 48 buyer speed figure. She was favored that day for Butch Reed, who's one of the better two-year-old trainers around the Mid-Atlantic. She's just supposed to win. She's probably better than these horses when push comes to shove. The interesting thing that you'd be able to do for the toad players that might also be at Monmouth and be able to dabble in the fixed odds is get a look at the doubles from the second into the third. Those aren't huge pools generally, but if you see somebody maybe taking a little bit of action, you might want to look to uh, to expand your horizons a little bit. Uh, Belmar Summer was the second choice in the fixed odds market at four to one in decimals. Paco Lopez on for Greg Sacco. This is a, a mastery uh, Philly. He has not been a great win early producer, but uh, this is a Philly with some decent workouts and a, and a good barn on her side. Obviously decent human connections. Singling though for you, do you think, or, or would you include that one in on some lines? I'd probably include her as a backup, but yeah, I would single the, the lone A to three and back up with the six. All right. Put the B, put for a B, we'll put the six in there in race number three. We'll move on to the turf and some Jersey bred three and up Philly and mare action, five and a half furlongs on the turf. Who's it going to be in here? This is a really wide open race. And one of those where it's timely given that you can get narrow in the second and third, I think in, in, a, in a way you'd kind of want to use everybody from the two outward in this field. And, um, and I think I would in the winter early pick five Pomptini is a slight favorite three to one or four to one in decimals based mainly on this, the pace scenario. There's very little speed in here. I think the five and a half that comes out of the chute is often very conducive to front running types. So Pomptini looks dangerous with Joe Mar Torres, likely to be ridden hard out of the gate. Wicked Jane has Paco on the outside. That one's at nine to two in the decimals. Uh, looks like a horse that probably is, uh, they're just taking a shot, moving to the turf. The pedigree is, is very dirt oriented, as is the case with most Jersey breads, um, which are, that's the group going postward. The best horse in the race is likely Rob the Treasure, who is uh, also nine to two in the decimal odds. This is a Philly mare who's not been seen since August of last year. She's generally been more effective going long. You wonder if this might be a prep for another opportunity coming up down the line. I don't know how much I trust her. I would use every bit of the uh, four, six, and seven 
as A's, I'd probably find a way to include the three and then use the two, five, and eight as backups because this looks like a tremendously wide open race. So you're going to do the thing. Now, just recently on our big betters roundtable, we had this conversation about, is there any rule in horse racing that is an absolute no exceptions? Sean Borman eventually put forth the idea that the only thing you never want to do is use all but one in a gimmick like the, the pick five or the pick six. But, but that's, your, that's your suggested approach here. I'm enough of an a-hole to do something like that on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that sentiment is wrong. And boy, it's happened to me. Um, and it sucks. But um, yeah, the one's a little far-fetched here. But hey, if you've got the budgetary capability, throw her in. <laughs> Let's talk about the pay leg. We've got $30,000 claimers going six furlongs on the dirt field of seven. How are we going to get paid? It looks like Distorted Limits um, is, is very much the horse to beat in here from Michelle Hemingway. Michelle Hemingway's barn has very quietly come on in the last couple of months. She picked up a win on closing weekend at Belmont and had a, uh, has had now a handful of winners at Monmouth. Uh, this co- this guy's a new gelding and uh, now goes second off a layoff. Looks as if he'll be forwardly placed. This is a race that does not have a great deal of speed. It's another really good scenario for the bookmakers in that Paco is on a horse that probably doesn't have nearly as much of a chance as he will be bet to. Distorted Limits was made $2.80 uh, in the decimal language. Catch the Smoke, second off a claim, is a 4-1. to one. It looks like a runner that definitely deserves some support. Second off the claim by Claudio Gonzalez. Came from off the pace last time out. Cutting back in distance. He'll need a little bit of a setup in here. This is a pretty, other than really the one and three, um, I think pretty much anybody in here could contend. The five's a new gelding. Looks maybe like a little bit of an outsider, but um, I would I would use the two, four, and six as A's in the pick five, and I would expect distorted limits to probably drift down to pretty heavy favoritism. Got to give a shout out to, to uh, the hunch play for me in here. Number two, Muggsy Malone with uh, Muggsy, the handicapping Labrador, just in the next room over there. Fixed odds wise, how did Dallas end up ha- handling this? What numbers did he hang on uh, distorted limits and flatter me? Yeah, distorted limits that click under three to one um, will be the favorite in the decimal odds. Uh, seven to two, three dollars sixty, I should say, on flatter me, as there is no flat three dollars and fifty. And uh, that was likely has a lot to do with Paco five to one on Muggsy Malone, four to one on catch the smoke. Those four pretty much with all the support. All right, great stuff, Nick. Appreciate your time here. Look forward to getting to hang out with you next week. And then hopefully again later um, in the summer for, for Saratoga. Appreciate your work and everything you're doing. Uh, really encourage folks to check out this free preview of Nick's notebook and uh, join us on the in the money plus side to get it all meet long. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Enjoyed uh, being with you and see you next week. Three, two, one. Today show also brought to you by our good friends at Gainesway from top international bloodlines to rising stars on American soil. Gainesway has put together a stallion roster that is not only prime for future success, it's currently making its mark on the track led by Caraconti's rising star, Spenderella, who ran so well at Royal Ascot. Make sure to check out their entire roster for 2022 and see for yourself the power, passion, and performance of Gainesway. Next up on the show, as promised, it's the return of Baby Talk. As I just mentioned in the ad that probably ran right before this segment, we are going to be doing some standalones, but we're also going to be incorporating them into these late week shows. Part of that is I want our rank and file horse player listeners to understand that uh, we're talking pedigrees and we're getting into two-year-old stuff, but this is stuff for all horse players. And to do this segment with me, with, with Sean Tugel no longer um, working for Gainesway, we, we will bring him back 
once in a while. But, you know, Sean would tell you it's because no one person could possibly replace him. We're going to bring in a cast of characters to replace him. And one of them is somebody who you're familiar with on these airwaves. They've been on my uh, Breeders' Cup shows and did such a fabulous job hosting the Christmas quiz last year. But in reality, when I think about them and their handicapping prowess, I think a lot about babies. They do a great job over at blinkers-off.com. Rowan Ward, welcome back to the In the Money Airwaves. Hello, I'm glad to be here and happy Saratoga. Happy Saratoga to you as well, my friend. Let's talk about this Sanford Stakes. Folks have heard my um, high-level thoughts on it, and it sounds like from our off-air discussion, you're, you're a bit with me that uh, Forte is an interesting runner in here. Are, are you? Is this a confident selection for you in the Sanford? I feel confident about Forte, yes. I was very impressed by the debut. Pletcher and Arad Ortiz are connections you can trust in the spa, and... You know, Pletcher's been fantastic in the Sanford. He won impressively. And what I liked more about it than the fact that he won so impressively is that he passed some horses to do so. I guess the closest thing I have to a knock is it was a five horse field. So this will be his first time dealing with this many horses, this much traffic. But I think there are enough horses who went wire to wire in their maiden wins that I'm looking for a horse who can pass horses. And here we've got the horse whose maiden win I found the most impressive and showed they could pass. And so my tactic with the Sanford here is to lean on Forte and play around with some other horses who might be more of a price underneath. I have two things that- Additionally, on Forte, I want to talk about one of them. Listeners have already heard me quote earlier in the show, and it's sort of a rare negative stat for Todd Pletcher that his normally, you know, ridiculously prolific numbers, pretty average when it comes to two-year-old maiden winners in stakes races, specifically dirt sprint stakes races. I said earlier in the show, doesn't bother me because there's so many positives with this horse. And I'm hoping maybe it becomes part of a narrative that makes Forte a bettable price, a five to two, a three to one. But I did want to ask if that stat gives you pause at all. It would probably give me a little more pause had I either A, not been quite as impressed with his maiden win, or B, if he were yet another horse who led it every call. Mm -hmm. I just think there's enough positives to outweigh it. I agree with you. I hope that stat goes far and wide and scares some people off this horse. I don't know how many people it's going to scare off this horse, but I'm right with you. Let, let's get talking on that. <laughs> All right. Funny stuff. Well, we're doing our part anyway. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention was just the form of the first race. It's not a t- t- It was a short field, as you pointed out. Horse was one to five, supposed to win, obviously. But I did like the fact that at least the two who came back hit the board in their next starts. Is that... Is that something you look at in these maiden wins going through and, and looking for performance of the, the also-rans when you're looking at an impressive maiden winner? Oh, yes. If the also-rans come back and at least run okay, hit the board, that is good to see because it suggests that the horse not only visually impressed but did so against some horses who have at least a little bit of talent. Certainly better that than seeing the horses come back, oh, 10th in a field of 11. Oh, fifth beaten 25 and a half. 
sigh. <laughs> and it Frank's the figure too. I mean, exactly. one, of the, one of the comebackers ran the exact same figure. The other declined a little, but only by like five or six points. And again, it was a creditable effort at least. All right. You mentioned your idea of Forte with some longer prices. Who are the interesting prices in your uh, reckoning of this race? Well, in this one, the one who's probably going to be the longer shot among the horses that I'm interested in is number three, Great Navigator. Goes in for Under the Radar Connections, trainer Eddie Owens, rider Jairo Rendon. He rode at Monmouth when this horse won. And although the horse is Jersey bred, Great Navigator be open company. I feel like it's a stamp of confidence that... The horse showed up against open company, one by five and three quarters. The third place horse, Rolligan Dancer, already came back to win. So again, we're talking with the form underneath, beating some horses who have some ability. Third place came back and won. And so again, going back to something I said about Forte too, this horse passed a couple of horses. This was actually a bigger field than Forte faced. This was a field of eight sat in third, took over in the final furlong. So again, with quite a few horses and even some of the shorter price showing speed, could work out a trip. Um, Todd Pletcher has another one, Major Dude. I'm not loving the two-hole just because it's a field of 12 and this is a lightly raced baby. But that said, one on debut, did so in stock and pounce fashion, was even able to go through horses. So has shown that he can handle a bit of traffic, which was nice. And then the other one that I tabbed, probably a little less of a long shot. I mean, still quite a few that are going to take more money than him. Andiamo Offerenze is going to take more money. I'd even bet Curly Jack takes a little more money. But number six, Mo Strike. Mo Strike, maybe a little closer to the pace than the other two, but again, was able to work out that stalking trip on debut at Churchill. Uh, Brad Cox is fantastic with last out maiden winners and in a big stakes race. I always like to see Florent Giroux. He's definitely, you know, it's it's hard to call him a newer face given that, okay, he had his coming out party on the biggest stage, with the pizza man, who I have to keep reminding myself, no, that was... That was 2014. That was eight years ago now. So he's not the newest big race rider, but he's still pretty darn good at it. <laughs> if you if you took the one to five odds that Arlington would come up during Rowan's appearance today, you can go to the window and cash. <laughs> nice uh, Pizza Man reference. Oh, I mean, I, I had another Arlington in my pocket ready to go too. If we wanted to talk about two year olds who already ran at Saratoga. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. We'll do, we can do that tangent. Oh yeah. I mean, if we want to loop back, you know, we had the Skylerville yesterday and then there was that maiden race, the second on Thursday and the winner half a chance. It's been a while since I've been that excited to see a horse break their maiden at Saratoga because half a chance is by flatter out of third chance. And if you follow Illinois racing, you know who third chance is. 10-time winner, won on debut at two, but stayed really good and actually did all her stakes winning at ages three and four, including beating the boys, was really good on both dirt and polytrack, and now she's got a baby who won at Saratoga, so I am 
delighted by that. That was exciting. CJ Johnson. Um, yeah. Group that was, he's a, you know, big, very active on horse racing Twitter and a frequent, uh, frequent guest on these airwaves as well. I do. Want I'm to always Scott- happy to see CJ's horses win. And especially when they're out of really nice Illinois breads. That's great stuff. That's great stuff. That I really should have known was going to come up. I want to pause on Major Dude for a second. You mentioned a few interesting horses to go with, uh, to use with Forte in the Sanford on Saturday. Major Dude did something else I think is a great pointer for a two-year-old with talent. You mentioned the importance of passing horses, which both Forte and Major Dude did. But I particularly like the idea of like splitting foes first time out. It just speaks to the kind of professionalism that – is atypical of two-year-olds, but maybe not so atypical of the Pletcher ones who, you know, can so often train in groups and almost have race experience before they ever get to the races. But still, that is something that that, that I always note. Is that something you look at as well? It's something that I always want to make a mark on because this is a 12-horse field. And a lot of these horses are coming in out of smaller fields, definitely smaller than 12. And if you can point to something in a two-year-old's race record and say, "Hey, they were able to—they were able to do this. They were able to show some kind of maturity that suggests they'd be able to handle traffic." It's really funny that the beginning you interviewed this, or sorry, you introduced this, and we're talking about pedigree. And yes, I love pedigree. That is my favorite aspect of two-year-old races. In a race like this. I feel like this is as close as you can get to an early season two-year-old race where form counts a little more to me than pedigree, only because you have these horses that have been racing on the dirt. They're not making a huge change in distance. Like, okay, they may have graduated at four and a half or five, but we're not breeding horses for four and a half or five versus six so much to think as, oh, they've already won at a one-turn distance. So I do, in a race like this, want to pay more attention to the race shape and what they did just because it's one of those cases where pedigree doesn't shine a light on as much that's new. That would be a different case. Let's say like three or four of these horses were coming in and they'd only run on the poly track or the turf. That'd be one thing. But no, I mean, we've got a bunch of horses who've, run once or more on the dirt the only one who's even tried the turf was roman giant and he stepped up switching to dirt horses run four times already so we've got dirt form here that's such a great point that even somebody as a pedigree oriented as yourself recognizes once you have that signal of an actual actual race it starts to shift and the, the paradigm changes and it's still important. It still matters, but, and you know, there's certain sires are just going to expect to get better with time and with distance, et cetera. But, uh, you know, obviously form, form trumps all. And we'll be talking about so many first time starters throughout the season on baby talk, but, but this is an instance where it makes sense. That the conversation has been a little bit more form centric. That said, I do want to highlight uh, first season sire. This is getting back to the first dude conversation. That's really been uh performing and, and performing in a in a huge way. Uh, if people haven't been paying attention to Bolt Doro and what he's been doing out there from a pedigree point of view, eight for 22, 36% winners so far, not too bad. Have you been impressed with the, I mean, obviously you gotta be impressed with those numbers, but have you been impressed specifically with many of the performances from the Bolt Doro so far? 
I've been very happy with the Boltoros so far, and that doesn't exactly surprise me that he's gotten a hot start at stud because, as we know, Bolt Doro did so well at two. I mean, I I know Good Magic won the Breeders' Cup that year. You know my love for curling babies. <laughs> Good Magic winning the Breeders' Cup made me super happy. That was actually the first Breeders' Cup that I went to in person, and it was delightful to see. That said, do I still think Bolt Doro was kind of robbed for the championship? Yeah, I do. I think he had the better overall two-year-old season. And I'm I'm glad to see that. It's nice to see Medaglia Doro have, you know, it, it's nice, it's nice to see him as a sire of this sire. I kind of like that, you know, he's got kind of the stamina over the speed in his pedigree. Kind of funny for me to say stamina is over speed in the pedigree, because yes, I know that Globetrot is by AP Indy, but Globetrot herself. Babies have been a little more middle distance than classic distance, but I'm I'm glad to see what Boltoro's done so far, and I'm interested to see how they continue and how they progress. Before I let you get on with your day, I do want to do a quick uh, reflection back on the Schuylerville traditional opening day feature at Saratoga. What were your thoughts on uh, on this year's running? I really, I really liked the ride that just Cindy got. Arad Ortiz gave her a really good ride. Uh, she broke all right despite drawing the fence, saved ground until it was time to pop out, and then proved her class in the lane, kind of going back to showing some maturity for a two-year-old to be able to break pretty well from the rail, save ground, and then come out. That's nice maturity to see from an early season two-year-old. And kind of looping back into pedigree, it's interesting to see that just Cindy is doing so well early in the two-year-old. You know, first crop Justify. We know Justify didn't even race at two. Um, you've got to dig back into the pedigree to find the two-year-old form because you've got a horse who didn't race at three. Damn, Jenda's agenda did well at three and four. But again, you dig up a little and you see the two-year-old form. Justifies by Scat Daddy, who we know is a great source of two-year-olds. Um, Jenda's agenda's damn just Jenda did win it too. So it's one of those interesting cases where you have, you know, kind of a later bloomer out of a later bloomer, but digging back up, it's like, okay, I can make sense of this two-year-old class here. Um, then you got Summer Promise and Janice Joplin behind. And yeah, Summer Promise, just from a handicapping perspective, sort of tie back into something I said about the Sanford. This is why I don't really go, especially for win candidates, for those wire-to-wire type horses. Because, I mean, Summer Promise ran pretty well. She wired her maiden win, didn't make the lead in the Schuylerville, had to try the stalking thing, and then just kind of got run down by Jacindy in the end. So a good effort, but was trying something new, and just Cindy showed that she could pass so this was always going better right i i had backed some yeah. promise and didn't it was one of those things where well i'm probably supposed to be rooting now but i'm just gonna save my breath because this horse is traveling all over us. <laughs> you those. knew what was gonna happen you knew just cindy was going to get there and was going better 
You're right. <laughs> you know my uh, my my love for musical um, musical hunch plays, etc. I, I I almost included Janis Joplin just on just on that basis. But this is a runner who, looking at the female side of the pedigree, I'm thinking uh, has a chance to, to, given the toughness shown on on dirt to this point, chance to really be good on on turf. Lots of turf babies in that uh, in that pedigree. Was Janis Joplin one you gave much count to going into the race, or, or one you're looking at coming out? Definitely one I'm looking at coming out. I wasn't sure going into the race because, yeah, it was off kind of slow. And I'm like, okay, she's got to really grow up from that first effort where she came in third. And again, she wasn't all that great out of the gate in the Schuylerville either. And looking at the work tab, I have a funny feeling that Mark Cassie has been trying to iron out some things because, yeah, she didn't work between the debut and the Schuylerville. Those last two works leading into the debut, they were both gate works. And, you know, I I will admit I have not seen them. I do not know if there are videos out there, but I just noticed that between those being gate works, her being off a bit slow in the debut, her being off a bit slow in the Schuylerville, I'm kind of hoping she puts that together. But one thing that I'm really excited to see about Janis Joplin, whether she figures out her gate issue soon or not, is stretching out. I think she's got a really nice pedigree to stretch out, and I think she's got a nice pedigree for trying turf or dirt. So she is one who I am very interested to see how she develops. I less had a pin on her yesterday and more have a pin on her going forward, particularly as the races get a little longer. Makes perfect sense to me. Well, Rowan, really appreciate your time here on the show today. For those of you listening, if you're watching on YouTube, you already know that you can find Rowan on Twitter, at Rogue Clown. But if you're listening, now you know, fantastic follow, uh, great energy, very sharp, and always a pleasure to have on these airwaves. Rowan, we'll be talking soon. So good to talk to you. Talk to you again soon. Good luck today. Boom. That was good fun. Free flowing. Thank you. That was crazy, fun. But yeah, all, always a good time. <laughs> <laughs> it's Excellent. Saratoga. There's always a lot of two-year-olds to talk about. Yeah, we're going to do, there'll be some random ones. There'll be, you know, honestly, if you ever see a day where there's just a two-year-old race you're dying to talk about, like, let me know. We could do something. So I will. I will keep an eye on the two-year-old races and let you know if there's one that really gets my blood going. I love it. I love it. Because well, it's Saratoga. It's bound to happen. It will definitely <laughs> happen. And it, and it can be on a Thursday. You know, it could be any, it could be any time. I was surprised there's not, um, I was surprised there was, I was surprised that maiden for Saturday didn't fill. And then there's nothing for Sunday either. It's just a new yeah. one. So No, but, I was actually looking around and like the only two-year-old maiden race is coming up in the next couple of days of the New York breads. Yeah. We'll get more. It's weird not seeing more open maidens, but it'll be coming. Exactly. What we're missing now, we'll get in abundance later, and hopefully you'll be around to cover some of it with me. Yes. Looking forward to it. All right. We'll be talking soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'd like to thank all of today's guests and all of today's sponsors, including our friends, uh, especially at uh, Gainsway. Great to have them doing the baby talks a little bit different this year. They'll be standalone shows, but you're going to be hearing a lot of baby talk on our late week show as well. Really appreciate uh, Ro coming on 
and giving insight into that cool Saratoga race today. Want to thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. We've heard a lot about TRF uh, on the network over the years. Go check out their events calendar for Saratoga. We've got some really cool collaborative stuff coming up and the link to give, trfinc.org slash players. Most of all, I want to thank all of you for listening and viewing, especially those of you on our In The Money Plus side, but really, it doesn't matter, everybody. And anybody who wants to help, you can help without paying a dime. Just rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and over on our YouTube channel. It's not so much about, when I say help people find the show, it's not so much that people go to the internet scouring to read reviews. This is an algorithm thing. <laughs> you have comments and five-star ratings. It helps drive the content out to people and helps us continue to make great content for you. And if you want to take it to the next level, inthemoneypodcast.com slash plus. Thanks to producer Craig. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Formatow. May you win all your photos. <laughs>